0: So maybe I'm curious to ask you uh, to which level the environment plays a role in the performance of the living cell. For example, when we look for soft robotics sometimes we have to be in a structured environment at the first step and then if you want to go to unstructured environment it would be tricky and it's, it's a bit yeah. bit dynamic and you don't predict what happens. But I think here is an honest level of complexity. You're dealing with living cell Maybe, of course, if we speak about symbol design, as uh, as we have in Xenoblots, but if we speak about something in real application and going to different environment, human body, or maybe different, I don't know uh, if you can tell us how the environment play a role. And do you think that you can tweak the design of them, making them responsive or having a stimulus to certain, uh, uh, I don't know, a certain phenomena or something? How do you envision the environment play a role in that?
1: Absolutely. So the environment is key to how Xenobots move and perform and act. And what's nice is these are additional control knobs beyond the biology that we do have really precise control over, right? So we can Mm -hmm. control aspects of surface friction in their environment. Uh, We can control the substrate. We can control the viscosity of the solution that's around them while they're moving or swimming or crawling. We can control aspects of the salinity of the solution these all affect how the bots perform so for example we have made swimming bots that have uh, little molecular ores on their surface which would with which they can row and and move liquids and the swimmers move really gracefully over smooth surfaces but if you give them something rough they struggle they tend to get caught on debris or uh, in, in chasms but then we can make walking robots that really work well with rough terrain. They're sort of the ATV vehicles where they just climb over any debris. Mm. So that's really important. Um, on, the, on the other side of the equation, I would also say um, it's probably impressive to roboticists that, that things like forces in environment really do play a huge role in biology. So biological cells can sense pressure and constriction and stretching and there's a number of stem cells that literally just by pulling them or compressing them, you can change their feats, the way they develop. So they're sensitive to things like compression and deformation in ways that we didn't really appreciate or understand. And so those are ways in which their immediate environment can directly affect um, not just their behavior but also their development and the genes that they turn on and a lot of the internal pathways that they control. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So maybe you hear the question about, I think that's a question we have all the time in the robotic community. How we can access the beneficial geometric and material non-linear, nonlinearities in the material? And we mentioned the example of the dead fish swimming upstream, stream, and that's example of how the nonlinearities in the material could play a significant role in the behavior adapting the shape mm-hmm. to the environment. So from the biology, of course, maybe we speak about designing the shape and how the morphology is so important. Can you figure out what could be this shape as a biologist so or you can figure out, oh I, I just need this performance or just the formation or this behavior? Can you figure out how you can access them in a certain way? Do you have any kind of answer for that from your perspective, how to can access this richness in the in the living material living cell, for example?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think what's nice is a lot of this is observable from the outside in nature. So we have good examples. And so even for things like buckling or non, non, um, non-traditional sort of dynamics and shape, we have a lot of plants that have ruffled leaves, like, like certain types of lettuce that is basically produced by buckling. It's this non-predicted system where you have stress and then to relieve the stress, you get this buckling and it makes this rather beautiful ruffle along the edge. And um, we have a lot of ways to port that knowledge into the types of systems that we're designing. So, uh, certain tissues can display capabilities like this as, as well. Um, I think another area that hasn't been investigated where, where things like, like buckling um, and nonlinearity would be really cool is, is besides an individual robot, how we could use this in swarm settings. So, having living robots come together in a swarm and self assemble into new new shapes and forms where we could um, leverage nonlinearity to create things like zippers or twists or ruffles for specific tasks. I think that 's not well understood, but it 's a growing area of study from a number of groups mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and once you mentioned about maybe some cells could be open loop and other could be have feedback. From your perspective, which way way could be effective in design? Is it for you easier to have open loop or just have feedback? And which one could be optimal for you? I don't know, combining both of them in the design, maybe different cell that have open loop and other have feedback. I don't know how how it looks to you, what could be easier for designing?
1: right, so... What's nice is a lot of this comes prepackaged in the biology, and we know pretty well. And so in our system, we get open and closed loops at the same time. So for simple tasks like movement, mm-hmm. these are very much open loops. It's running the stereotype program, and it has no understanding of what the whole body is doing. You have cardiac cells that contract at a set rate and a physics that drives the system forward. And it's going to do that regardless of if it's cut in half or smashed or, or pushed against an obstacle. Uh, But we also have these baked-in features like repair or sensing or guided behavior. And and these are very much closed loops where there's a a feedback between the behavior or the morphology or or the environment and the appropriate response that the cells are doing. And so they're, they're making decisions. You know, the cells aren't running their repair program in the absence of damage. Energetically, that would be a huge amount of wasted energy. But it's something that they're primed, they're, they're sensing their immediate environment. And should a damage cue come in, they can turn on that cassette that initiates the repair regime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what's nice is, is we can sort of tweak the system in both directions. So if, if we would like there to be the cell doing more of the heavy lifting and computation, there are systems in which that has already been worked out possible. And if we would like something that's much more like a traditional open loop system where it's just a machine that is running on a program. There's a lot of synthetic biology approaches where you literally just have cassettes Mm -hmm. and you place it in the cell and it does simple math and it gives you an output based on exactly what program it's running. Mm
0: -hmm. Great.